On this episode of the Cinema Syndicate Podcast, we're reviewing the 2016 Shane Black crime noir comedy, The Nice Guys, where we ask questions like, does it break the traditional buddy cop mold? Could it have been sexier? What were the best lines? But before we get into that, we always like to do our marquee picks where we are giving our favorite uh, detectives in film and TV history. So stick around for all of that and let's go. Cinema Syndicate Podcast, the best movie review show on the internet that's spilling its hot take tentacles all the way from the West Coast to the East Coast. I'm Matthew Scott, and as always, I'm joined by my good friends, Mr. Preston Barnes in San Francisco. How are you doing, Preston? Uh, I'm doing well. How's everyone? <laughs> as we move our way from the West to the East, we got Mr. Joe Ray Fine in New Orleans. Hey, you, Joe. Signore, commendatore. <laughs> And we've got, last but not least, Mr. Budge, the Hitman Husky. I always say Hitman just because I like adding it in. But how you doing, Budge? Doing well. Been having drinks in the afternoon. <laughs> All right. So tonight we are doing The Nice Guys. I think his name's Shane Long, wrote and directed. It stars Ryan Gosling and Russell Crowe. But before we do that, we always like to encourage all our loyal listeners, please, if you haven't already, please go on iTunes and give us a five-star review. Like and review it. Say something nice. Uh, we really, really appreciate it. It helps us grow, helps us get more subscribers, subscribers helps us get more listeners. Um, so tonight we are doing The Nice Guys by Shane Long. It's a private detective fun, sort of neo-noir, what do you want to say, like crime-solving mystery movie comedy. Um, and so since it features two private detectives, we're going to do our marquee picks like we always do that we lead off with the show with. And this week we are doing our favorite private detectives or investigators, however you want to say it. And since Budge picked this movie, or won the right to pick this movie from his Iron Bowl picks, we're going to let Budge kick it off. So, Budge, your favorite private detective duos, excuse me, or duos. Oh, I appreciate it, Matthew. And I would like to thank uh, Nick Saban, who was not there, but was there in <laughs> spirit for getting us that victory and allowing me to have this extra choice here. Um, in in that spirit, I think uh, my number three pick is going to have to be Colin March and Jackson Healy from this film here. I mean, they are an nice. epic duo. They uh, they they don't necessarily feed off each other that well, but they kind of do. Yeah. But you know, you've got Jackson Healy with that just like absurdist takes on marriage and like you know just takes on life that are just like not even like particularly witty or even good advice. Like, and you see, I think you've seen a lot of like detectives novels or or movies. Uh, they're just interesting observations that are like horribly horribly wrong. Uh, I also think Holland March is an insane character who is just off the wall, yet like somehow like overeducated for the position he's in, yet like drunk and just and has just epic, epic one liners. Um, and I thoroughly enjoyed this movie. So when I, I got to put them in at my number three. He's kind of like a less badass Doc Holliday, but like not dying. <laughs> he, you know, he's 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 got that irrational self confidence that I just love, and maybe it's again, Matthew. We've discussed this, perhaps something I see in myself. But <laughs> yeah, he's very he's right. very like. We'll talk more about him. Very likable. Yeah. All right, 
<laughs> Go for it. Two number oh, two. Bud. My number two will be a uh, obviously one of the more timeless classics here, uh, but I, it's a specific iteration that I that I like, and it's uh, Sherlock Holmes and Doctor John Watson, and that would be the Benedict Cumberbatch, but backed version and uh, Martin uh, Freeman Benefit from the Sherlock TV show. <laughs> Uh, uh, the BBC show that, that was appearing on Netflix, uh, particularly like some of the first two seasons, but I think it was just such a excellent um, update of a classic series of books, and they did they both did an excellent job. You know, like John Watson having the Phantom Pains coming back from Afghanistan, which you know in the original books he was an Afghan vet, but from a previous war, um, and then having Benedict Cumberbatch play a Sherlock that's like slightly autistic but lives in the you know the modern world. Uh, with his own like, little eccentricities. And I just think it's an excellent adaptation. And uh, again, it's one of those things about Budge says about his TV show rankings. The reason it drops off a little bit is because the, it doesn't, it doesn't land like uh, it should, but those, those first seasons are hitting off at all cylinders. Yeah. And go for uh, your number. I, I, well, I shouldn't say go for your number one, because I really do love that uh, Sherlock series because it, it, a lot of times when they do Sherlock Holmes, they try to adapt it to the period, but this actually adapts to the modern day and used a lot of different things that maybe you would have <coughs> like thrown off clues, I guess, maybe in the 1670, no, not 1670s, Jesus Christ, but you know, like the early 1900s was set and this, and this movie, I mean, not this movie, but this series actually made it more challenging and actually like challenged the writers to come up with mysteries that you have to solve using like modern day dilemmas or whatever. So it actually is really cool. And obviously it stars two incredible actors. And, and you know, particularly cause it's not, it's not particularly novel. I mean, I know there's been like American versions where they try to like kind of do the same thing and it just doesn't work. Like this one's just, it's done so well um, that it, that it's, it's almost seamless there in the beginning. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so go for your number one, Budge. Uh, my number one and is, is a little bit more serious take and I like to give good recommendations on the show. My number one <laughs> is uh, Endeavor Morse and Inspector Fred Thursday from the television show Endeavor, uh, which is a, I believe an ITV show that you can find on Amazon. Uh, it follow, it is a series of books written by Colin Dexter uh, that were written in like the eighties uh, that were turned into a famous TV show um, that probably your grandparents watch, but they did a prequel that doesn't have a series. It's not based off series of books. It's just a prequel series of young inspector Morse as a beat cop slash investigator in Oxford, England and the timepieces, the set design, uh, everything in the show is just top notch and I cannot recommend it more. Again, particularly those first few seasons are excellently are ex- so well done. He plays kind of a an odd cop who's kind of caught between two worlds. He's in Oxford. He didn't know graduate from Oxford. He attended school there, but he's in a where he's from a working class background. He's stuck in the police in the police, which is obviously a little more working class uh, environment. So he's kind of again stuck between two worlds. He's almost a little too smart to be there, but he's also not quite doesn't quite fit in in like the high world of academia that he's surrounded by. Uh, and I think it lends to itself as excellent mysteries and excellent sort of hijinks. I can I can second that recommendation, listeners. This is a uh, this is a must watch. I mean, Joe, how familiar are you with this series? Is this something you've watched all the time, like backwards and forwards, or you just like a brief scan? Well, this is one of those uh, Budge's picks that he has recommended, and we actually watched a a few of the episodes together, and um, it will suck you in. It is a uh, it is well worth a Sunday afternoon, a rainy Sunday afternoon, to watch. Uh, to watch an episode, I highly suggest. Wait, so is each episode sort of one independent mystery, or is it like a big long series that has one overhanging I think it's arch? About ninety minutes, isn't that right, Budge? Yeah, yeah, they're they're that classic kind of British crime drama where it's kind of like a mini movie, really. Each episode, uh, probably okay. like four episodes a season. 
four to six. So in the same vein as Sherlock, the Absolutely. BBC version, Absolutely. where they're both, where they're all like independent works mm-hmm. of like almost independent movies. And there, like you said, and there are like some overarching things going on in the season, but they're not like you could you could pick one up, like you know, and and you wouldn't be lost. Okay, so this is on Amazon. Is what yeah, you said. It, come, so, uh, it comes on um, PBS sometimes, but it's you can find it on Amazon streaming currently. It's called Endeavor. It's E N D E A V O U R, the British way. All right, so like. I always learn something new on this podcast. I'm sure the viewers do, not viewers, listeners do too. So we're going to check out Endeavor. We're going to move on to Preston with your top three picks. Go for it, Preston. Um, All right. So uh, let's see. I'm going uh, for my third pick. It is going, uh, this probably comes to no surprise, but uh, I'm going with detectives Alan Gamble and Terry Hoyts from the (laughs) other guys, not to be confused with the nice guys. I think we'll probably get into that. Um, <laughs> it, you know, I, I can't re- like, to me, it's like probably Will Ferrell is like one. I, honestly, I think it's one of his most underrated movies as far as like his character, Alan Gamble. And, you know, at first when I, I remember seeing it coming out, like a trailer, I was like, Mark Wahlberg's like, you know, like, I'm okay with Mark Wahlberg, but he actually turns out to be, uh, pretty funny or in the sense that he works really well with, uh, Alan Gamble, like Will Ferrell's character and some of the like quotes they have in the back and forth. And then you add in like Michael Keaton's character. Uh, I think his name is like Captain Gene. And, <laughs> and then I think, uh, or what, and then Alan Gamble's wife, Sheila, who's played by uh, Eva Mendez, like just the back and forth sometimes, especially at the dinner table when he, when Alan Gamble goes into his alter ego gator and just starts going off about things. I mean, it's just, it's hilarious to me. And uh, I think it's one of the better, like, buddy, buddy cop comedies. Yeah, I feel like that whole, like, tuna spiel that he gives, which is like a sort of a famous monologue in that whole movie, yeah. could have been done by Ryan Gosling, but like in a more sarcastic way. But it's sort of like, sort of, when you think about it, maybe not. I'm just thinking like, he, but it, he definitely gives it the full Will Ferrell treatment where like he just gets like aggressive and in your face. Yeah. But it is sort of different than like what Ryan Gosling does in this movie where he's so sort of subtle and sarcastic. But like, I feel like it's actually something you could have done in two totally different ways, but it still would have been hilarious regardless he, of the, like how you yeah, I think like the quote, I think Mark Wahlberg's character is something like, like if I were a lion, you're a tuna. I'd, like I'm going to swim out in the middle and I'm in the ocean. I'm going to freaking eat you. And then he's like, then I bang your tuna girlfriend. And, uh, and, then, and then Will Ferrell just like shuts that down as far as like just like tuna and lion, like land and ocean. I mean, it's just if you haven't seen it, it's pretty hilarious. Yeah. All right. Go for go for your number two. All right, number two is a bit of a nostalgia pick. Um as I like to do, I'm going with Detective Inspector Lee and Detective James Carter from Rush Hour. Of course, that is Jackie Chan and Chris Tucker. Probably on uh, USA right now as we speak. <laughs> Preston, um, that is the best Asian-African-American combination since Tiger Woods. You cannot. <laughs> it's really hard to beat. That's, that's, it's pretty, pretty, pretty close for sure there. That's a good one, though. But uh, and that movie yeah. probably didn't even make as much money as Tiger Woods has made in his career, to be honest. So uh, maybe not close. even a fraction. Uh, yeah, honestly, <laughs> even with the uh, rescinded sponsorships. Um, so yeah, I think we've all seen this movie. Uh, I remember when it came out as well. This was kind of like it, I think a lot of people were curious how that was going to work out. It was definitely in the peak of Jackie Chan's like crossover career, and I think at the time he was in like his late forties and he's just doing insane stunts, but you throw in Chris Tucker and it's just a hilarious, 
a hilarious soup of nonsense. Did this movie come out before or after the tuxedo? Way before. Way before. <laughs> it, it came out before Shanghai Noon and Shanghai well, Night. I was, was going to be my like question. Who, yeah, who, who had, instead of Rush Hour, who had Shanghai Noon? Oh, <laughs> Preston, to this day, no, it's because they were like, oh, it was so, to get so successful pairing car, Jackie Chan uh, with Chris hey, Tucker. Chris Tucker. <laughs> I ain't still Scott Camp. Hold on, I didn't hear Let's that. put him with Owen Wilson and set it in the fucking rustic yeah. cowboy era. Whatever. Say that again. <laughs> I didn't go to England. Yeah, just. I was saying, crazy, when yeah. they asked me to get a bag out of the car for him, I always want to turn around like Chris Tucker in, in Rush Hour and say, I ain't still Scott Camp. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, a ton of great one-liners. Um, all right, let's get a little bit more serious here. <laughs> so my number one, I think I've had some kind of uh, variation of one of these characters or this this TV show before, but I'm going with Detective Marty Hart and Russ Cole from True Detective Season 1. Excellent choice. Thank you a great pick, folks. so much, everyone. <laughs> Uh, obviously, the partnership between these two Louisiana detectives is not, uh, I wouldn't say it's ideal and always effective <laughs> in that it, like they kind of have a rocky start or just a rocky relationship in general. A lot of that really stems from not necessarily like their relationship with each other. I think it's just like both of them have so many demons and it's just like constantly them like trying to figure out their own personal shit um, in, in vastly different ways. Um while also trying to investigate a, you know, pretty like scary ritualistic murder. But they obviously end up working out and making, uh, you know, making all these discoveries at the end and becoming, I guess you could say, friends, so to speak. But and also a true kind of, Southern Gothic tale, a true Southern. <laughs> and it just kind of reflects on that, like, battle between light and dark where they both kind of have their moments of. I think Russ is generally is considered like a very dark character. Um, not to say that Marty is very light because he's clearly having all kinds of personal shit go on, but they, they definitely kind of go back and forth as far as like who's experiencing more of hard times. And, and it kind of comes together. Obviously that last episode is uh, pretty intense to say the least, but I, you know, I can, I could watch that season of true detective every year and find new things, find new Easter eggs and love it as much as I did the first time, because it's just incredible. Uh, I was about to say filmmaking, but I mean, every episode is like a film essentially. No, I think we could like spend a whole like two episodes on true detective, just talking about it without even watching it. What do you think, Joe, in terms of being from the Bayou, would you have a personal connection with true detective? Have you watched it? It's a fan of, agree. A fan true of detective it? is one of those shows where it does, the lo the the locale justice. I mean, <clears throat> that is what you see is what you get down here with True Detective. So I am, I'm uh, a big fan. You know, it's great pick, Pokey. Yeah, uh, what's his name? Nick Palizio, Palazio, whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, he's from the area, and so we obviously was almost like a love letter to his like where he grew up. So he knew it from the heart, and he wrote all the episodes, ex executive produced the whole series or whatever. So when he moved out to L.A., he maybe only spent like two years there, and that second season obviously didn't have that sort of like innate, what do you want to say, like comfort where he knew exactly what he was talking about. He didn't know the the, the residents, the sort of like area, the same way he knew about New Orleans, not New Orleans, I said Louisiana. Acadiana, yeah, and, and, and yeah. that's what made it more scary too. Yeah, 
Oh yeah. Well, I mean, like he he probably knew, like he probably was like he was probably the person who knew where to go in terms of what he, I can't even remember like what the name of those people are in terms of like principal photography and stuff like that. Going out and finding places to shoot, like he probably knew where when he was writing. He goes, I I know a specific location in mind. This is what I have in mind, and he knew everything. But he probably had to sort of rely on other people's sort of expertise in that next couple of seasons that didn't work out the same way. But the, I feel like he was so intimately related to that first season that it really came through yeah and i mean it, literally like when they run the cast or like the credits it should have been said like star starring the bayou backcountry because it, it it is such a huge part of the show and i think you know both of those characters in their own way kind of symbolize you know just the very real truths of a lot of people in that area well, it's definitely like like you said, uh, Preston, it's like two people sort of maybe having the same sort of demons, but approaching them in sort of different ways. Marty kind of wants to ignore them and sort of move on and try to like replace them with something else where uh, <laughs> Russ sort of almost wants to like fight them head on, even yeah. though he can't win. He wants to like talk so, about them in these like cryptic yeah, phrases yeah. that like I'm, yeah. they're in the car and I feel like Marty's always like, what the Fuck, yeah, like, about. dude, shut the fuck up. I don't want. That's not how I deal with my issue. Yeah. All right, so here's Joe's drunk. We're gonna move. <laughs> Joe, we're gonna move on to your top three. Well, uh, well I guess duos. Matthew, before we move on, I would just be Sorry. curious because you, you this got referenced in I believe the last podcast. But uh, did this did True Detective season one remind you of anything we might have listened to in a car? on several occasions with a certain uh, actor as a narrator. I can't, I can't remember the exact name of it, but I remember that we were talking about it was the actor from, uh, <laughs> remember the Titans, the, 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 the white coach. Will Patton. But he, was, but he like plays some type of detective that's for, sort of from the Bayou. What was the name of that character? Uh, Dave Robichaux by James Lee Burke. I think <laughs> we're very heavily influenced, uh, true detective, those novels. Shout out JLB. Yeah, no. So Budge and I have gone on a few like road trips and we listened to a whole novel together. And I just love, love listening to um, that character do the whole show, really. I mean, it's just a one man act. Uh, Will Patton from Charleston. <laughs> yeah. All right, Joe, moving on to your picks. OK, that's a fantastic segue, gentlemen. <laughs> uh, now, those out in Podland, I need to stress to you that we had we really didn't discuss these picks prior. So my number three detective duo is none other than Cleet Purcell and Dave Robichaux Ooh! in the aforementioned crime novels uh, by James Lee Burke. Um, is a local Louisiana author. He is from uh, New Iberia, Louisiana, which is in the heart of Bayou, Bayou Country. It's on Bayou Tesh. Um, and Cleet Purcell is a roughneck uh, Marine from Vietnam, private investigator from he has an office in the French Quarter on St. Anne and he's got one in New Iberia on Main Street. And he's uh, always picking up bail skips and picking up, you know, shady women. Budge, what, you, I, I feel like you've got a lot to say on uh, this pick. Uh, Southern well, Gothic. Sure. Yeah, it's kind of the peak. These guys, I think James Lee Burke kind of almost invented the genre of like sort of the the Southern Gothic, Southern noir detective novels. Maybe, now, maybe he didn't. He didn't obviously invent the detective novel, but he, in his prime, sort of mastered the the scene and the setting. Uh, you know, and the way he just sort of describes things is is top notch. Um, Cleet Purcell is one of the great American characters of all time. Who's actually plays kind of second fiddle to Dave. Uh, you know, so you're, you're one of the, you're doing the book, uh, depiction because, you know, Dave was also played in two movies once yeah. by Tommy Lee Jones, 
Second Indian time Electric by Mask, yeah. Alec Baldwin. Uh, well, I <laughs> guess and, actually, Tommy Lee Jones would have been the second one. Alec Baldwin would have been the first one. In Heaven's Prisoners, yes. In, in uh, which involves seeing great, seeing Alec Baldwin's Yankee ass sweat in Louisiana because he is so sweaty that entire movie. You can tell he's <laughs> fucking miserable. But, What's the one with with Tommy um, Lee Jones? The one with Tommy Lee Jones is oh, called recent. In the Electric Mist. It's it's also starring Levon Helm. Oh. So, a classic Americana film. Yeah, so I think it was made in 2009, if I'm not yeah. mistaken. Yep. Nailed it. As, as, as Budge was explaining, Cleet Purcell is just a merry prankster who always has a soft spot for the downtrodden, and he is just always looking, looking out to correct injustice in the universe, and he does it kind of in a bull in a china shop way, but he's always, you know, on the right side morally, and Dave Robichaux, who's the police detective or the sheriff's detective, kind of like helps him along the way who, while b- battling demons himself. It's a it's a very interesting combination of of, of uh, foiable characters. And uh, my number two selection, I'm going to go with uh, Anthony Horowitz's uh, ITV Ooh. series, Chief Superintendent Christopher Foyle from Foyle's War. Uh, played by Michael Kitchen. Um, this is a, a, one of this is one of those deep budge husky cuts where one of those late nights where he was like, you know, I think you'll dig this show. And so I believe I was on an airplane somewhere and I knocked out the first season. And I mean, the setting, the 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 cinematography, everything on the set is period. There are not going to be any space. You feel like it's 1942 in, on the home front in Britain, and it's a and Chief Chief Superintendent uh, Foyle is trying to find, you know, these various crimes that are going on, you know, during the war in England. It's a very interesting take on the home front during in Britain during the war. Wait, so is this like a BBC miniseries? It's what is it's, I've never even heard it's of on ITV. Okay, so where would you even stream this right now? Where did you find this on the airplane? I think it was Joe? on Netflix. It was on uh, uh, Netflix or I think BritBox as well. If you have that app. Uh, it, it streams on that. It's pretty um, famous. I think, Joe, yeah, Joe, I don't know if you, it's about, it takes place during World War II, and Michael Kitchens is probably just slightly too old to go to war, so he has to stay back as, like, the head of the... The uh, police force. The police in the force, south, yeah. Like, on a coastal town in southern so England. So he's, a lot of that's, like, kind of the strain of there being not a lot of men, right? So they're all off at war, so, like, he kind of has, he gets bogged down, and there's, you know, kind of like... Is he super grizzled, too? Like, he's a World War One veteran? He is a World War One veteran, but he's not particularly grizzled. Okay. Appears to be beardless. <laughs> He's not Chris Little at all. They uh, ran for uh, actually, ran for thirteen years. That's a pretty big show. Jesus, yeah. I, I can't. Good. I can't really stress either. I'm. A, I'm. A, I actually just finished an Anthony Horowitz book. Uh, how well done it is. The same. Same kind of like endeavor. There's not like a single piece that's like an anachronism. Um. Not. And then uh, it's out of place. That's out of date. Uh, just top notch. So, Joe, are you picking these from like actually watching the series, or are you more picking these from like a book perspective? I've watched all the most of the series. I think there was about okay. I think there was eight series of uh, Foils War. It's been a couple of years since I've seen them, but I mean they, they are fantastic. Uh, you could you you would be glued to to the TV with these. And I will say this: just if anybody is out there listening and doesn't know how like the BBC operates, it's so much different than American TV. So when like Preston said it had thirteen series, it's not thirteen like twenty two 
season episodes, like 13 series of like four episodes a piece. So you can sort of knock out a season really quickly. Well, uh, aside of the fact that like, I think a lot of the episodes of the, we're talking about are like 90 minutes, like an hour and a half. It's still different than like sure. going like a Absolutely. CBS, like hour long. Oh, you're talking about like American cable long, shows. Yeah. Yeah, like long yeah, like order, American, yeah. Yeah. It's a little bit different. They do, they do have like different time segments there. Um, but go ahead, Joe, for your number one. Sorry for even going on that tangent. Go for it. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, yeah, no problem Saucy. at all. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, we've discussed it a little bit previously, but I love it so much personally that I had to, to have to clue it. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's uh, character, Sherlock Holmes and um, Dr. Watson. I personally love reading the short stories, and in particular, The Hounds of the Basketballs is actually will scare, will scare the shit out of you. Um, but as we've already discussed the iteration with, uh, Benedict Cumberbatch and, um, who played Dr. Watson real quick, Budge? I can't remember. Martin Freeman. Martin Freeman. Yeah. He, the he, Hobbit. he, he, he killed it. Um, I will give some, also Tim. Go for it. <laughs> yeah. Nice. I will give some love, uh, to the Robert Downey Jr. and Jude oh. Law movies. Which you know, for what the, for what they were trying to achieve, which was as a happy go lucky, a fun version of the stories, like I, I had a good time, like I I enjoyed the films. So, uh, that that that'll be my number one pick. God, it seems like Robert Downey Jr. almost was like, please cast me, please cast me. Those that you know, those like, were excellent depictions. I think that I think Robert Downey Jr. in particular did a great job he as yeah, he as like Sherlock Holmes, like the kind of the way his brain worked. I thought that was like kind of well done. Right. Um, I will say in the second one, they actually like uh, focus in at least have like one specific scene or two specific scenes where they highlight that he's actually like a very good fighter, which is something that's heavily depicted in the books, right? Yeah, I think like he was a pugilist, like a boxer. Yeah, he was yeah. a pugilist and like knew how to sort of like predict how people were going to like respond to certain moves or whatever. And they did, I don't remember any other series kind of doing that, but that, that second, I think it's the second movie they do that. They like, they almost do a bit of foreshadowing, right? They start him off in that sort of like pit fighter scene and then they foreshadow it to when he like actually fights Moriarty at the end. Isn't he doing like some uh, kind of like drunk Rain Man bullshit? Like when they're when they're fighting, like you said, he's like predicting stuff and oh, he's planning he, out his moves. And yeah, he's, he's yeah. telling you that he can think so many moves in advance that right. you won't even be able he's, to stop him. He's there. basically like he's taking in data, like he's a goddamn like you know computer or whatever. So he's like learning how this person fights. So he lets him like knock his face in a few times, and he goes, "Oh, I know how to how he's going to respond." And then he God, just yeah. counters and beats the shit out of him. That's I think I think that's sort of what that scene was kind of about. It's basically how, what I do right before like breakfast. I kind of like figure it all out. <laughs> you think about how the waffles going to affect your stomach. Yeah, and I'm like, go, do oh, I get maybe, the orange maybe, juice now, or what, what? How do I do this? Yeah, maybe one cup of coffee just because it's going to blow my stomach out. <laughs> uh, what? What? Do you, so, Joe, I mean, you you said like, do you you were didn't want to mention the BBC version because Budge has already done that. Do you prefer the BBC version over the, the new ones with Robert Downey Jr. and uh, Martin Freeman? Or do you actually say that you like the no, show? No, I thought the BBC one with Mar- Benedict Cumberbatch did an excellent job of actually trying to portray what the character of Sherlock Holmes was with Sir Arthur Conan Doyle into a more modern sense. Like, in the back in the day, like, he had a cocaine addiction, you know, he had to overcome like a lot of these things that, you know, like people don't necessarily like attribute to Sherlock Holmes that, you know, that Benedict was they, they were able to transcribe into like a 21st century, 
you know, storyline. He spends time in some like kind of like modern opium den in that like last season or maybe the second season or whatever. One of those episodes that like they kind of catch him in there, but they he like sort of weaves his way out of it, saying that he was getting information. But he does do that. They do depict that. Yeah, and the, I, uh, I think it's the seventy-one uh, percent solution, or yeah, I can't remember which one it is. That's a, that's a that's a great, great, great one. Joseph, I, I thought you were going to pick the uh, the '30s uh, movies with Basil Rathbone, or alternatively, kind of the '80s with Jeremy Brett as Sherlock Holmes. Well, both of you guys seem to have like a, a firm grasp on the character. Did you guys watch the new ones with uh, Ian McClellan, like where he's like an old Sherlock Holmes? Did you guys watch that? I, or? I, no, I did. I haven't, I haven't seen that at Capri. Uh, you, <laughs> I went and saw that at the Capri. Uh, it was it was Martin good. Where he kind of like he, he's getting. Uh, I think, uh, man, honestly, all right. If we want to go on the deep end here, I I will tell you. I well, think, it's not deep end. It just say, did you like it? The, what, I, how, I thought it was good. It yeah, it's kind of Sherlock Holmes, kind of like you know, slowly succumbing to either Alzheimer's or dementia, or just really just old age, like kind of losing his memories. But I think that it's worth noting for the listeners that one of the reasons you're seeing a lot of um, Sherlock Holmes depictions is Sherlock Holmes, the character, has entered the public domain. So uh. you don't have to pay the estate. However, there is a current lawsuit that's going on that is developing quite a few headlines with Enola Holmes, uh, Millie Bobby Brown from Stranger Things fame and Henry Cavill uh, have put out a new film. It's on Netflix based off a series of novels, kind of YA books about uh, Sherlock Holmes sister. And the estate has sued uh, Netflix and the publisher claiming that anything post Reichenbach Falls books Sherlock Holmes is not in the public domain, so thus the estate, you still have to pay the estate. Ooh, so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out in court. Well, well to my the, top I, three. the idea in that is that uh is that anything post Reichenbach Falls, Sherlock Holmes became a little bit more empathetic and less of a robot. So they argue that anything any any depiction of Sherlock Holmes in which he seems sort of like sympathetic or like I guess a reason a normal human. Oh, so they're saying it's not even the same character. That's Correct. Their That's their argument. Yeah. Okay, so we're going to move on to my top three before we move on to the nice guys. I'm going to get done with these real quick. So number three is I've got – this isn't necessarily a duo, but I I relate them as a duo. So anyone who's listening kind of knows that – probably a predictable pick. I've got Gene Parmesan and Lucille Bluth yes. as his partner because <laughs> – I mean, yes, Gene Parmesan works alone, but Lucille, he does it just to entertain Lucille Gene! Bluth. Number two. Yeah. <laughs> number two, I've got the exact same pick Preston had as his number one. I've got – Russ Cole and Marty Hart in that first season of True Detective. Number one, I'm surprised none of you guys actually picked this, but I've got Johnny Utah and Ooh. Angelo Pappas from uh, Point Break. Uh, obviously, Angelo Pappas has so many, so many, so many great lines in that movie. <laughs> I'm surprised that wasn't your number two. Give me two. Uh, also, I love that. Like, I don't even know what this means. That like some blue flamer Quantico cat. Like, I obviously know what Quantico means, but I don't know what blue flamer means. Is that different than like a regular flamer? Does that mean like a oh, higher blue. quality of flamer? Blue color. <laughs> also, like it's really you're a really hot flame. It's a blue flame. Yeah. <laughs> No, well, he's describing it to like this, like higher up. He's like some fucking blue flamer. I don't even know what the hell that means. Welcome to Quantico, kid. <laughs> I, love, I, I don't know. Well, no, not welcome to Quantico. Welcome to SeaWorld, kid. As if like he's actually doing some. I, I really don't know, but I love, love, love that movie, and I love his depiction of it. Uh, it's it's just a really good relationship in terms of like how to. It's the same type of thing I was going to get into when we talk about the nice guys in terms of you got sort of like that old grizzled guy that sort of like thinks he's sort of like conservative and knows how to get things done. And you got somebody new that's kind of just knows all the new methods or whatever. And they're sort of clashing. And that's sort of like the contrast between the two characters and they're forced to work with each other. Um, I kind of before 
we move on, I think I'd be remiss if I didn't say my honorable mention. I very much almost put this on here for friend of the pod, Rob Hayes, uh, <laughs> who uh, several people in here have lived with at some point. But when I used to live with him here, I would play this movie all the time when it came on FX and it would infuriate him. But uh, <laughs> it, it's he's he's grown to love it. We all did. But that was Starsky and Hutch, the Ben Stiller, Owen Wilson depiction is so funny. Open the trunk. It's so good. <laughs> Do it. The regular size towels are on the top okay. shelf. I had, I had a couple of other ones. I'm sure. Too. Katie, uh, sure. Sally, sure. The dance off in Starsky and Hutch still makes me laugh. And it's also Patton Oswalt, yeah. who's like in some, yeah. like some afro. Yeah. And like it's two dudes in the afro. I got to give my man Dan to Rick. <laughs> there are some funny <laughs> parts. No, do the thing. Do the thing do the again. Thing. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Ben Stiller's like super high on coke and he's like, no, 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 do the, do the, do the arm ranking thing. Yeah. And what's your weight? Uh, my weight? Uh, what does that have to do with it? It has to do everything to do with anything. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, it, like we already mentioned Owen Wilson before and like Shanghai News, Shanghai Nights, whatever. And like, yeah, Ben Stiller, like he's got that perfect sort of like uptight, up your asshole sort of like foil character, this sort of Owen Wilson's laid back demeanor or whatever. But go ahead, Preston, sorry, if you want to give an honorable mention. Uh, I just had two other ones. I had, um, let's see, Agent K and Agent J from Men in Black. That was a good one. You've basically got, I think Will Smith was at the peak of his career then, and then you had the human version of Grumpy Cat, Tommy Lee Jones. (laughs) And then uh, Matthew, you you, obviously we, we love these novels and we've liked these movies. Um, Elizabeth Salander and Mikhail Blomkis from, uh, oh my God. Well, no, the girl most, with the dragon tattoo. Right. Yeah. Most known from the girl with the dragon tattoo. Stieg Larson. Stieg Larson. Yeah. Uh, what do you think of the girl in the spider's web, which I know was, it's written after he passed, but was that any good? The movie or the book? I never read either. I've never seen the movie, but I definitely want to see it. Um, I heard it wasn't as bad. It, all of his like books are good. Bad. I mean, they're very, Exciting and inter- I mean, like he's a hell- was a hell of a writer. Um, uh, for the record, I've never read or seen. Maybe what I was, Bud was maybe about. maybe Budge was who uh, <laughs> who, who I was talking to. There. <coughs> My bad. Yeah, no, I, I've actually I've never you know uh, I I have seen Girl with Dragon Tattoo. I, I've I've never even read the novels or whatever, so well, I don't know. Whoopsie me. Maybe you were thinking um, Harry Potter with the dragon tattoo because that's I, more. I, I feel like this is worth the story because <laughs> it's kind of funny. But Harry Potter in, and the Game of Thrones in, in college, <laughs> uh, some week there was some uh, some event and we were at home and it was right when this book that book came out and one somebody was over there had brought a date and this girl did not know anyone in my family and had never met um, the Pod Father himself. But she was sitting outside. I think everybody else was showering, and she was just uh, my father and this this date. And everyone was showering. Her, like we're getting like <laughs> getting dressed. Big shower. She was just stuck. she basically was yeah, stuck. Just... <laughs> she was stuck outside with my father, and she asked. She said, "He said what?" She asked what you what he was reading, and he said, "Oh, it's just a little book I picked up. It's it's an international bestseller. It's about a." a young computer hack over there in Sweden and she and this report investigative journalist are just traipsing all around Europe hooking up with each other solving murder mysteries. <laughs> that's, a, that's a pretty accurate depiction. Though. I know. It is not but they are an incredible oh, yeah. team because like he's such a good uh, detective or, you know, detective like person. And then she's like this you know, unbelievable hacker and they can just solve anything. 
Well, no, it, it, like I said, it goes into like these tropes where one kind of plays by the rules a little yeah. bit. One does yeah. things traditionally and one sort of got this new way of thinking about things. That doesn't mean it's the same way all the time, but it's always some sort of conflict where one's sort of doing the other and one's sort of like, oh, I don't agree with that, but I can see how it can be useful. They both kind of learn from each other. Uh, so what we're going to do, and I want to correct myself, uh, but I mean, Preston sort of told me but i said shane long before and this is actually a movie written and directed by shane black so i don't know where i got shane long maybe from my like a uh, fan of a uh, premier league soccer or whatever because he's a premier league soccer uh player so what we're gonna move on we're gonna move on to the nice guys this is budge husky's pick the nice guys written by shane black 2016 starred russell crowe and ryan gosling budge is gonna give us a little bit of intro in terms of why he picked this and why he loves this movie so much before we get into the discussion go for it budge uh thanks matthew i think i'll just kind of start out to say one of the uh, i've said this before on the pod but i think people come for my history of mystery takes but they stay for my sci-fi <laughs> um and i think that this the reason i obviously Obviously, the mystery genre and the sort of mystery books and, and novels and TVs are, are very, are very close, you know, close to my dear to my heart. I, I very much enjoy them. I'm a bit of a I kind of absorb them all. Uh, they sort of fascinate me. Uh, and in that sense, but I think that what I really enjoyed about this movie is that it sort of checks a lot of boxes for me personally. I enjoy very much dark comedies. I enjoy witty rapport. Uh, and I think that this movie does that in spades. Uh, I think that one of the things we kind of discussed, and we may hit on this earlier, is it very much kind of plays like an old Elmore Leonard story or movie. I don't know if you like Get Shorty and, and things like that. And one of Elmore Leonard's great recommendations about writing was don't write the parts that people skip. It was always constantly cut back on your writing. Write a conversation people have, rewrite it three times. Just cut out stuff people won't say. Use a lot of local patois and local vernacular. And I think that this movie kind of did just honored him in that way. Uh, so not it was, it like Aaron Sorkin. <laughs> Correct. The opposite of Aaron Sorkin. Uh, I think it also did an excellent job of playing homage to the genre in a lot of old movies. I think when Kim Basinger makes a cameo, it's kind of a throwback to L.A. Confidential, which she and Russell Crowe both starred in. Um, I think, it, you know, it, you also just kind of get vibes of the long, uh, the long goodbye, which is a Raymond Chandler novel. But it's, it's a movie with Elliot Gould in the 70s. I think it's very much the whole style is very much based off that depiction of it was Long Goodbye with Elliot Gould, which is an, a Raymond Chandler story. But it's like kind of an update in the 70s. And this in this movie very much felt like that. Uh, I think that, again, we, we kind of discussed like uh, good set pieces and costume design and some of our other uh, marquee picks. And I think this has got to be right up there with it. It all it very much I looked and felt very 70s. Uh, either the cars from the cars to the costumes to the house, the furniture, you know, I, I think it was all great. And I, and I won't touch on that too much because I'm sure it's going to come up. Um, but hairstyles, you know, I, yeah. <laughs> uh, but you know, again, in that sense, I, and I, I cannot stress, uh, one of the, you know, the thing, one thing I like about it is like good humorous dialogue. And it had the one liners in this movie came in spades and I'm sure we'll go on. Uh, but I guess it's kind of, that's a pretty good little intro to it. Is there anything else y'all want to comment on that guys? I'll, I'll, I'll give it y'all the floor. Well, I'm surprised you didn't like mention sort of like the buddy cop genre in general, just because like how it relates to that overarching sort of like huge <laughs> genre that we're all sort of just talked about or whatever. So I was going to mention that, you know, we talked about Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson. Preston mentioned Men in Black and his sort of uh, honorary picks. We didn't mention the Lethal Weapon. Preston mentioned uh, the other guys. Budge mentioned Starsky and Hutch. 
Preston mentioned rush hour. These are all things that I sort of like wrote down and I mentioned point break. So that's just to name a few that are just sort of kind of fall into the category. So the buddy cop genre isn't really like an original and obviously relies on the same sort of premise of like pitting two contrasting characters against each other and sort of forcing them into a situation where they have to work together. But uh, so even though this is like a super common genre, like I just talked about, like there's plenty of like super popular movies that like sort of do this. The nice guys, what I thought was like, it's still fresh and new in terms of, like it's sort of, almost, I don't want to say reinvented the genre, but it still felt like it wasn't something that was just trying to do something that has already been done. So what I want to ask you guys is, so do you think there were like unique elements of this story and like characters that allowed it to still be fresh or did like, like, what do you think were the unique parts of this movie that still like differentiated it from that sort of like maybe overcrowded genre? Budge, what do you think? Uh, I think. What I think this kind of goes back to a theme we've sort of discussed over the last few episodes, and where it's like uh, maybe this movie did a lot of things and did it do did it do a lot of them well. I think in this sense it did. I think that one of one of the tropes of the genre you mentioned is that like a lot of times it can be a little bit silly and and kind of over the top and more about the relationship between the two characters. But what I also think this movie tried to do was honor, and this is kind of what I was talking about, honor the genre of like the thriller, the neo noir vibe, and it managed I think to do an excellent job of kind of bridging those two of having kind of like almost a silly yet humorous duo solving a little bit more of a legit, you know, that while some of those, again, we were talking about those sillier movies, they sort of sacrifice the plot and like the mystery, et cetera, you know, to sort of to push the comedy in. Whereas I think this didn't say it took a little bit away. It wasn't necessarily as serious as say the long goodbye or LA to confidential, but it was maybe a little bit more serious than Turner and Hooch or rush hour. <laughs> uh, while at the same time, it wasn't completely slapped between the two characters. They had a lot of depth and they had some, their own problems yet. They were also hilarious. So I think in that sense, it managed to do everything really well. And I think that's why it succeeded. Uh, but that's why I also, you know, you, again, you brought up the buddy cop genre. I kind of distinguish it because I think it's a, it's slightly also does the mystery genre, the neo-noir genre. Well, I kind of want to get into the mystery as- aspect of it later, but what do you think, Preston? Do you think it like differentiates itself between some of those like more popular buddy cop films, or do you think it like sort of falls within that sort of genre? Uh, well, I, I certainly agree with a lot what uh, Budge was saying, and and I do think it does fall into that genre in a lot of uh, aspects. But I I think it defi- differentiates itself in the casting of Gosling and Crow, which to me, like if you talk about Starsky and Hutch, uh, other guys, and even Rush Hour, which I mean, there might be a little odd couple in this car right there. A lot of those people are were at like peaks of their career, a little bit n- kind of known for comedy. You know, Jackie Chan was already starting to be in like some funny movies, I guess. Uh, and I feel like with Gosling and Crow, I would not really label them as like funny people. And I mean, you could probably argue like Crow is not really like a funny so to speak, in this movie. <laughs> but I mean, like Ryan Gosling is absolutely hilarious and his character is so good that I I think in, in that regard, the casting was a little surprising. Um, you know, like I, I, before watching this movie, I, I saw, okay, this is a black comedy or dark comedy. Uh, but I, I did not expect to laugh as much. And I, yeah, I found the story to be pretty, pretty good and pretty entertaining. Um, and then also you throw in like the little girl and I thought that was... Uh, a nice little touch because she was she was fantastic. I thought she was just so good. Uh, yeah, so I think the casting to me, uh, when you compare it to some of those other movies, it was not as predictable. And then I think it worked better. I think it was more of a home run. Like they kind of went for it and it worked out. 
So just to kind of touch on that, just because you said it and we can we can move on. Did y'all recognize that little girl, the girl who played Holly March from anything? Oh, gosh. I recognize every 12 year old girl. Go ahead. <laughs> let, 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 let the listeners know uh, what, what you're talking well, about. Well, I, I know at least I've seen some of these with Joe, but she plays. Uh, she's in this. <laughs> <laughs> that sounded really, well, really it, shitty. It, 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 I don't know uh, what you're talking about, bud. Her dad. <laughs> well, I know we sat in a dark basement. I know we sat in a dark basement and talked about these, but go ahead. I, I don't uh, know how to. I'm not sure exactly how to pronounce this name, but Andrew Rice. Uh, she's in all these the new Spider-Man movies with Tom Holland. She plays uh, a pretty funny character named Betty Brandt, who's very witty, but she does an excellent job in those as well. I don't know if you remember in Far From Home, she's with like the she da- she dates the chubby guy on their like. On oh their- really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, she's like, you know, uh, she's like, oh my god, you cannot get sick, babe. Let me get you a vibe. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so she's an excellent actress. I, I recognize her. And I was like, and she again almost stole the show from Gosling. I think he was kind of tough to beat in this movie, but she did. Australian. She does a good American accent. Well, I mean, to be fair, like uh, they wrote her a very, very great part in terms of like they didn't write her as just sort of some 12 year old girl. They gave her so much depth and so much knowledge and so much sort of like a high IQ that she was will- oh, she had enough to sort of work with. Still had that teenage sass that was, you know, yeah, excellent. right. And I mean, the relationship what? Gosling's character to have a daughter and then like their relationship. I mean, it was just it was brilliant. It was hilarious and just so effective throughout the film. Well, it gave him like a sympathetic aspect because like right. he's sort of like that deadbeat person, right? Where like, but then like you learn that he's sort of like it wasn't really his fault in terms of like how his marriage broke down. Then like he's also really trying hard to like make his his relationship with, with his kid work and stuff like that. So it's sort of like one of those things that sort of develops over the movie that you think at first he's just sort of this drunk mm-hmm. sort of detective that doesn't care. But he actually sort of develops into this, you sort of get a bigger picture of him at the end. Joe, what do you think in terms of how this worked out in terms of <clears throat> relationship to maybe the buddy cop genre? Like, how would you rank it in terms of some of the previous buddy cop genre? Like, buddy cop films I mentioned, like, do you think it, like, holds up? Do you think it was one of the better ones? What do you think? Yeah, I think it was an interesting take on the, the, the buddy cop genre. You know, you don't, there's not a lot of of those previous films that we've discussed that, you know, one of them breaks their arm in the first scene and is like, yeah, tell the doctor you have a circular you, you, you know, fracture on your clavicle. I was like, snap. And he's like, ah! <laughs> yeah. That scream is so good. I thought that was classic. So, no. uh, it was a great time. <laughs> yeah. Ah! <laughs> Well, that's something to get into because Ryan Gosling's character is, is is so funny. I mean, like, uh, Budge, I know you want to talk about sort of maybe like the best one-liners, whatever. What do you think were maybe some of the best lines in the movie or like if you can remember off the top of your head? Oh, I mean, my, my favorite line was uh, when after they've kind of been paid by the, the DOJ and they're all kind of sitting there and, he, and he's obviously a little drunk and he's leaning up against the fridge and he's like, I don't understand why we're not celebrating. We just got paid. We're having afternoon <laughs> drinks or drinks in the afternoon, and everybody looks at him like no one else is drinking. Like, but I just love that, like in his mind, that's like the yeah, best thing he can think of. Like, oh, we have an excuse to have drinks in the afternoon. Like, come on. Like, but the uh, the other thing to add, like context wise, is it's his twelve year old daughter right. is <laughs> in that conversation. She's and, all like, as, 
I think I think yeah. and, it, and this one kind of made me think of Preston, so I, I hate to take it, but when he's dealing with Jessica, his daughter's friend, who's who's come over and she's like, Oh, sorry, Dad. We I thought you were staying with Jessica. Jessica's like, sorry, Mr. March. My sister was looking after us, but she made us leave because she's having a boy over. And he goes, Oh, she's such a slut. <laughs> made you think of me? I, <laughs> I just thought you would appreciate it when Holland March was like, Oh, oh she's such a oh, slut. No, I, I, mean, I, 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 I laughed out loud. Um, our, uh, our, our household Wait, cracks up during that part. <laughs> What's the name of the chick in the bowling alley where, like, he, Janet, he says, he that's goes, Janet. He goes, Janet. Janet. Yeah, Janet. He goes, yeah. Jesus Christ, right. Janet. <laughs> you just used the Lord's <laughs> name in vain. He goes, No, I quite enjoyed it. Yeah, he goes, Janet. Actually, I used it quite well. Thank, Thank you. you. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Janet. Yeah, what do you think? Uh, I'm sorry. I'm trying to kind of move a little bit through the plot, but also just because this movie has so many awesome one-liners i want everyone to get their like thoughts in on it what do you think preston i know you had a few that you want to talk about there was obviously the uh when they're discussing amelia or, or either amelia or missy you know, like two of the uh women <laughs> misty mountains misty mountain yeah that were in like the porn the, the porno and they're at the bowling alley and like um they keep, they keep like russell crowe keeps saying the porno lady <laughs> and, and, or porno woman, and and, and then he says porn star. No, he says porn star. Porn like, star he's, yeah. he, like he doesn't say. You know. And Gosling's like, you know, being nice, nice. You know, he's like, you mean the young lady, the the, <laughs> the porno young lady. And then uh, another one was um, like, so Gosling's character is like he's very likable, but he's he, he seems like he is maybe smart, but also he's like kind of stupid as well. I mean, he, like he says a lot of dumb shit. But he and he also like when he when they say when they're talking about like uh, I think he's trying to say it's somebody with no balls, right? And he says instead of Munich, he keeps saying Munich. And he's like the Munich, yeah, Munich is a guy with no balls. And Russell Crowe's like, you mean Munich? And he's like, are you saying Munich like Munchen? Uh, that 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 cracked me up. But I mean, like this this movie's, I, I, you go back and watch it. I'm sure a second time and you're gonna just hear line after line, particularly from <laughs> yeah. From, from Gosling, but. yeah, I think Gosling sort of steals the show. Joe, do you have any like favorite lines before we move on to like maybe a bigger plot detail? Oh, sure, I just found one. One of my favorite lines was when uh, was when uh, Russell Crowe was getting beat up, and he was like, "Look, you know, I can understand you coming up and fucking up my apartment, you know, kicking me around a little bit, but now you've made an enemy." And <laughs> I, I thought that was great. I was like, "Oh shit!" Like you never want to hear Russell Crowe say that, you know. <laughs> There was, I think it's like shortly after that, that sort of like juxtaposition where like he like has that like word of the day calendar where it's like take everything in stride or something like that. Yeah, (laughs) and then it just like it literally cuts like jump cuts to the him like sitting with his girlfriend and the girlfriend goes, I'm fucking your father. I spit my drink out. I spit it out. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, that that, that wasn't even like totally like, I I don't know if it like your ex-wife's infidelity. Yeah. Yeah. It was so fucking funny, but yeah, it gave to it like it like gave a lot of like resolution to his character in terms of like why he sort of like just wants to yeah, be who I mean, he is. Don't don't sleep on his one liners like in the very beginning when he goes, "Marriage is really just buying a house for someone you hate." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What about when uh, remember that kid? Holland was talking about. Uh, let's see. I, I he said, uh, "Look on the bright side." Nobody got hurt, and Jackson's yeah, like, I mean, "People got hurt," and he's like, "I'm hurt. saying, I think they like, they died quickly, so I don't think they got hurt." Yeah. They, they, they weren't like hurting. Yeah, they weren't uh, hurting. I, I thought he had a lot of lines like that. Yeah, like Joe, I thought would have. Well, I thought what you were going to say is at the very end when they're right, right after this. You're talking, and he shows him the ad, 
and it's like black and white. Russell Crowe's and Blue I'm sorry, you look Filipino. <laughs> yeah, sorry, you look Filipino. <laughs> no, I, I've seen that like sort of meme so many times on the internet, and I had no idea where it was from. And I thought it would be like in the middle of the movie or whatever, but I was kind of like, <laughs> I shouldn't say like depressed, but it like literally was like one of the last, the literally like almost last images you see in the movie. Uh, <laughs> but we'll move on to like a greater. Uh, discussion on the plot because this is something that maybe Budge sort of hinted on a little bit because maybe something we disagree on. So we'll talk about the plot in general and I think one way this movie differentiates itself from other buddy cop films is I think it sort of has a lack of focus or real defined notion of who the bad guy is throughout the movie. So like in Point Break we knew exactly who the dead presidents were but we had to like go on the journey with the cops as they went about trying to figure it out. And the same with like the Sherlock movies that we talked about earlier, same with Starsky and Hutch. But in this story, we're sort of just as blind as Healy and March are. Do you prefer this like story structure in terms of mystery? Cause you were getting to it much about uh, where we don't know everything, or would you rather sort of know who the villain was? And we sort of figure it out with detectives. Uh, my, my personal preference would be to figure it out with detectives. I will say my criticism of this movie is that it's a little long. They could have, yeah. I think they could have tightened it up. Uh, the, you know, like there were some, I wouldn't say they had to get rid of the entire like DOJ storyline, but at the same time, like again, you could kind of just tightened a lot of that up. Uh, but I, I did enjoy it because you, I, I guess, like when you're first watching it, you're not exactly sure what's going on. Like I remember the first time I watched it being like, what is the deal? How was Amelia connected to this at all? Like, yeah, right into Missing Mountain. It's tough to follow. And I think that that's when you like when, and that's why I thought they did an excellent job because you realize why Holland March is like, I'm not even actually looking for her. Like I'm looking for Misty. Like that's why he kind of gives up Amelia so quick when Russell Crowe's whipping his ass. Um. But in that, but in that sense, I, I did enjoy it. Uh, like I, I thought, I thought it was a good job. Like I said, I think it might have been at the end. They might have like maybe gone one one too many twists, and it might have been a little long. They could have tightened it up. But for the most part, I thought it was a pretty good job. Well, did you think it was hard to follow? Because like usually, like we talked about with like Joe was talking about those early. Like I've been at Starsky. I'm not Starsky and Hutch, but the Sherlock and Holmes movie. That first one, they literally start out with like describing who the villain is, what he's doing, and then you sort of work towards sort of figuring out how they solve what he's, how he accomplished what he did. Right. In this movie, like you really, you, you don't have like a, an agenda and you don't really know exactly what's going on. You don't know who the person is. So you are sort of like left in the blank the whole time. Like Preston, did you, did you find it hard? I should say hard to follow. Cause I wouldn't say it's necessarily difficult to follow, but didn't sort of follow the, like the traditional story arc that we're used to. So maybe threw you off. I, mean, I threw me. Yeah, off I mean, I guess I'm it saying. wasn't as predictable in that sense, which I, in a way kind of made it a better movie. I mean, I, but also, I, I guess you could say like slightly disjointed at times. But I, I you know, for me, I, I was just following the two of them, and particularly Holland's character and like the daughter, and just kind of how they meandered through this mess. You know, like to me, that was what what really made the story, and I mean, made the movie work. Um, and which makes it seem like well, I'm going to give the plot shitty shitty marks <laughs> which is not necessarily true because i thought it was uh you know i hesitate to say clever but i thought i mean i thought it was yes a bit too long but i i enjoy twists i enjoy t- twists and turns and stuff like that so i mean i guess if you made it a little bit shorter it could have been a little bit uh you know even better of a movie even though i really enjoyed it but yeah for me like just watching these characters kind of like fumble through these very serious situations 
to me was like hilarious because I, I don't know how much they really desired to to be a part of a lot of it. You know, they just kind of were there and it was yeah, happening it, it, and they were just, they, right. they found themselves in it. And like, that's where all the, like the shenanigans and mishap and like, like hilarity comes from. In some ways you're probably right. And this is almost a big Lebowski movie as much as it was a, a true, like a true detective story. Great this is that they comparison. found themselves, they found themselves sort of in a movie, like in a story that they really didn't want to be intertwined with. But Joe, what do you think? You had a bunch of picks that sort of like followed a traditional means of storytelling. Did you find this a little bit different? Did you enjoy it? Did you find it the same? What do you think about the story? The way like the story was overall depicted? No, I thought they did. I, I enjoyed it. You no, know, I mean I enjoy a different way of looking at things. It's kind of like you know, then Matthew, this isn't your favorite movie, but it's kind of like kind of <laughs> like Pulp Fiction. You know, you're you're kind of always on the edge of your seat, like mentally as well as you know like physically with the suspense so i always appreciate that in the film so i thought this film did a great job with that <laughs> all right so let's you guys do you have anything else to add in terms of like the plot wise otherwise we're going to move on a little bit to the ending and we'll get to the wheel uh but you have anything else to add? i see you writing down a little bit of notes uh no i'm just kind of going back over make sure uh i hadn't particularly forgot anything um i, I don't there are a couple things I wanted to address. I don't know if they'll come back with the wheel. And it was, um, what, a, what about, did y'all recognize, did y'all, did y'all know who played the bee in the dream? Did y'all recognize who that was? The voice? The voice. No. It was Hannibal Burris. Oh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. I, I thought stuff. that was, I thought that was good. That was funny um, too, the whole bee, like, situation. Oh, yeah. It's like a funny thing to add. And then in the end, um, <coughs> You know, I I thought too. They were like, they're just like it's so hard to just kind of like when he fall when he falls off the roof and lands in the pool. But the guy from City Confidential, the black guy, falls and his body just explodes. We (laughs) I lost it. Like just just that visual. Well, he comes back and he says, he goes, "I'm an uh, I'm I'm invincible. I think I'm invincible. It's the only thing that makes sense. (laughs) I don't think I can die." (laughs) His arms Um, out. You know, he's like, like. Dude, and him like messing with Chet, the producer. Like, oh, fucking Chet. And that kid who's like, you want to see my dick, dude? Nobody wants to see your dick, dude. 20 bucks. And he's 20 like, 20 bucks. And he's like, wait, what am I saying? I've got a, yeah, because I've got a big dick. And they're all, <laughs> and he's like, that's what's wrong with this world. See, that kid's yeah. like, Chet, and that kid wants to show us his dick. That's what makes this movie <laughs> to me. It's that like the banter goes, from, I've from already scene to scene. Yeah. From, you know, from scene to scene, the banter is is like on point constantly. Whether it's, uh, I mean, it's usually facilitated at a high degree by Gosling's character by Holland. But I mean, you throw in these little kids here and there, and you've got like Crow throwing like it's just constant. Well, it's constant. It's funny. You got to be paying yeah, attention. And I'll add to this, Preston. Like, we'll add to your point is it's not wasteful because like that whole like, all. scene with the kid, the kid with the dick, and like trying to oh give me twenty bucks to see my dick, I get a big dick or whatever. It winds up being useful because the kid like winds up giving them information like ten seconds later, kind of right. thing. So it wasn't like just a wasteful, wasteful joke. Yeah, they got something out of it, but they still just like they got like a plot point to move on to. That's how they went to the the porn star sort of party or whatever, yeah. as they found out that information from him. Nothing and is so, really that throw is uh, like throwaway material. 
Yeah, because when I was thinking about that joke, that's funny that you like brought that up. I was like, oh man, that's just a throwaway little like kids got a big dick kind of joke. But actually, when I really thought about, it, I was like, oh no, that actually serves a purpose. What were you gonna say, Budge? Uh, no, I was gonna say, you know, it's kind of you could tell. Like, I think we were comparing a lot of this with the other guys and nice guys. This movie get compared just because I think they came around at the same time. They have similar names and they're and they're kind of buddy cop uh, stories. But I think that's a big difference. Is in the other guys, you could tell so much of it's ad libbed. And like that, you would almost think was an ad-lib. Like you just said, everything is tight and well-written. And like, and there's like callbacks to certain, you know, certain jokes, almost like an Arrested Development style as opposed to like, yeah. you know, I think Will that Ferrell goes and Adam McKay let them go nuts. Yeah. Right. I mean, you, Will Ferrell is in a movie. He's going to ad-lib and everyone's yeah. going to have to try to keep their shit together. Yeah, exactly. I feel like those scripts are probably just like 20 pages long. It's just like Will Ferrell's in this situation. Let him go wild. This. Yeah, he's probably like, hey, check this out. I'm actually like, I know I'm this like humble, like almost accountant like employee. You know, I'm going to have this like alter ego where I'm this guy named Gator. You know, and they're all like, what? Yeah, sure. Whatever. And he's like, just let me go with it. He's, he's just like, Gator go find the Go do it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> And go get Eva Mendez to be my wife because I know that wasn't written but let's just do that right yeah, now. Yeah, and let me like oddly, <laughs> oddly like just think she's just like this regular, regular old, old woman. You know, it's just like, yeah, yeah the old ball and chain. <laughs> All right, so we'll move on to the ending real, real quick and then we'll talk, we'll do the wheel questions, whatever. So we, do you guys like, I thought this was like kind of a unique story in the same way that um, I was just talking about earlier in the sense that it didn't have sort of the traditional story structure and in that it didn't have maybe a traditional ending and i feel like it was that sent the way that uh it was that way is because it didn't have a really true defined villain it sort of left you so like maybe to for me maybe had a little unsatisfying ending because they're sort of trying to solve this problem but they were almost trying to solve a problem that you didn't really know exactly who the exact person you were trying to take down if that makes sense. But what do you think about this? Sure. Because the, the villain was almost like an amalgam of yeah, sense. It's like the, so, the the villain's the man, right? Like yeah. the man's like in the system, you know, that's like kind of keeping you down. And I think that I see what you're kind of getting at now. I think I, I didn't at first. And I think that, uh, you know, I think that they, that's also maybe a bit of kind of the, the genre and the, and the tropes of these characters is that they like, they don't quite fit in the system and that's why they like do the things they do. And, you know, so like they're sort of like the aggrieved, you know, they're coming after the man, you know what I mean? Like they're, they're just going to like buck the system and they're kind of trying to fix it for somebody. Like they might not be able to fix the whole thing, but they can fix it for you. And that's sort of like emblematic of, of like what they can, you know, as best they can do in the universe. But I think what I'm, what I'm really getting at, is that I think they were trying to set this up because I know it's been in talks and, and I don't know where it stands. I'm sure it's going to be really hard, but that this there was supposed to be a sequel to this. And I would love to see it. I'll <laughs> just leave it at that. Like Me too. Well, it, it leads to the story is, is kind of what Preston was talking about because he, like he said, he enjoyed maybe just the relationship between the two characters, between Ryan Gosling and Russell Crowe and also the daughter What's the point of the story more the journey rather than the ending? Like maybe these other buddy cop films were more about sort of resolving this problem, but this is more about developing characters. What do you think, Preston? Do you think it was more about sort of these characters sort of resolving their issues together? Or do you think the story was more about sort of solving the issue with Amelia? I think, I mean, to me, like my opinion would be the former for sure. Like them just kind of like getting through this crazy time. And at the end, you know, they're kind of sitting down. I think Kim Basinger's character comes in and there's like some resolution. Not really. I mean, there's 
There's definitely no Sue Young that they have to like find and get back to the uh, general general consulate. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, anything like that. Speaking of throwbacks, yeah, Sue Young. Uh huh. But yeah, to me, I think it's all. It's just all about those two characters and like everything that kind of revolves around it. And you know, you could say that's a knock on the film, maybe. Like if you really wanted like more of a traditional type thing, but I just don't think that's what they're going for. And and really, a lot of what Budge was saying, as far as like the writing goes, like that that makes a lot of sense because the writing's top notch and it's very funny and it's like perfectly acted um, by pretty much everyone. So you know, mic drop. What do you think? Yeah, what do you think, Joe? Would you have liked to see sort of like a bigger resolution of the story? Maybe some like big villain getting taken down at the end, or did you like the way that it sort of resolved where no one really gets well, too I much think in that trouble? Represents the frustration against the state, you know, the man, you know. So I think that was kind of purposely, <laughs> you know, that we kind of gave that added to the, the mystique. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that was maybe sort of the point is that we're almost fighting this like. <laughs> This villain that they couldn't actually take down. It's like two small guys trying to take on this massive mess. Like, uh, to me, why, you know, so why don't you just make a friend in the in the meantime? I, <laughs> I was thinking about this. I was trying to find a good Cleet Purcell quote earlier. Speaking of callbacks to to uh, <laughs> Joe's picks and and this this description of him, I found really I think kind of nails where I think this was trying to go with these two guys. Is that speaking of Cleet Purcell, I think you can add like a Holland March or even you know Jackson Healy in here. And that he's the he's the nemesis of authority figures and those who sought power over others, a one man demolition derby, right? They, they're never they're just here to fuck the shit up. They're not gonna win. They're not gonna break Watch fix the burn, system, maybe. but they're just gonna like they're gonna get one on you. You know they're going they're not they're going down swinging. Yeah, exactly. You're, you're talking about so, yeah. Holland and um, sure. Healy. I'm saying that was a description of Cleet Purcell, but I think it's very also apt to Holland and Healy. Yeah, and they just want to make yeah. some money yeah. as well. Yeah. Like, well, yeah, <laughs> just like. I'm getting paid. Yeah, I mean, we want those afternoon drinks. It's like their ambitions aren't to take anything down. Like Holland's ambition totally is just like, can I make ten grand off of this? It's not like they're. You're you're totally right. Their ambitions aren't to sort of like, oh man, it didn't like throughout the movie. It wasn't like they like uh, changed their motivations towards. Oh, I want to solve this issue. To oh, I'm super passionate about bringing down something that's right. sort of like <clears throat> super relevant. It was just. It really always was. Let's just try to make some money and maybe grow a yes, little bit on I, the that's side. That's what's so funny because like Holland's character is a particular. He's not he's not looking to be in all this violence. He doesn't want to ha- yeah. have to throw guns around and get and get shot at and like he, you know he's very scared. He's very scared of it all. Yeah. Where you know and Russell Crowe's character is just kind of like, look, I prefer to be this under the radar like uh, quasi enforcer man who just like. <laughs> Gets money under the table and goes and beats up people. Like well, I'm not I trying also, to get shot either. You know? Yeah. Well, no, I don't yeah. know. I think Russell Crowe's kind of like, if I get shot, I get shot. That's the yeah. Business. He may, he may I, not that's care. Like, that's the decision I made. Where I was like, no, I, that is not. But I think what I, I think I want to get at too is that they're you know they they try to they end up on the side of the angels in the end, right? Like it's like yeah, they may not be the best people. They may not be the guys you want. But I think that's kind of like part of the growth. And that's like what Jackson Healy didn't kill Matt Bomer's character in the end. But like, oh, you know, yeah. they're also like we said, they're, they, you know, they kind of make fun of the the hippies, right, that are protesting the, you know, <laughs> that small. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, they're they're kind of equal opportunity haters to a degree. But I think, like I said, they they kind of again, they uh, reiterated, they kind of come down on the, they want to come down the side of the angels in the end. All right. More so we're going to give not. it. 
Some last closing thoughts. Anyone got some closing thoughts on the nice guys before we move on to the wheel and to our rankings? Joe, you want to get some last closing thoughts on this? Interesting comedic duo and uh, props to Budge for this for for the recommendation. (laughs) Budge, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I'll I'll just wrap it at that. I I think again, one of the, the themes we've discussed is is sort of like uh, movies being that kind of I think have are on on a spectrum, right? They don't quite fit classically into one genre. They maybe tick yeah. other boxes too. And I think this is a another perfect example of that. Like, while it's buddy cop, it's also neo noir, and it also is paying homage, you know, to movies of a different era. Like with a good, but also have but still having modern style and, and like you know shooting methods and but like and just doing doing old movies justice while still doing the new uh but new shooting methods great and i i, I can't speak higher of this movie go for it Preston. getting closing thoughts before we move on to the wheel i agree with everything that's been said i just wanted to point out that it's hilarious how holland's character rarely <laughs> is driving and in fact it is his 12 or 13 year old daughter <laughs> who is constantly driving him around because he's drunk or he's just he just doesn't want to drive. I don't know. It's fucking. I wonder hilarious. what the penalty is. What the what the difference is between a DUI and having your twelve year old daughter? Like maybe he's measured it out to where it's actually less just to have your twelve year old daughter drive. <laughs> maybe oh, that was yeah. like a cut scene or something like that. Yeah. All right, we're gonna spin the wheel here. We're gonna do two or three, and then we're gonna get to our ratings. Oh shit! I shouldn't have spun the wheel. Shit! I'll I'll read out the things first. My bad. Let me let me write that down. Category so, time. Yeah, category time. Uh, shit, seventy spot. Oh, one oh five. Niner okay. in there. Okay, all right. So we're gonna spin the wheel here, but first we're gonna read the categories. We got number one: take a look into the crystal ball. Number two: you're the producer. Number three: let me just get the tape measure out. Number four: give it up for the single guys. Number five: you're just a pair of boobs. Or your first pair of boobs, not you're just a pair of boobs. Excuse me. Mm. <laughs> Number six, that's that's the totally wrong context. Number six, pick the era and the place. Seven, whammy. <coughs> Eight, baby, you can drive my car. And number nine, I was questioning the mermaids. Ten, respin. So here we go. We're gonna spin the wheel. Oh shit! So we got number two. You're the producer. Ryan Gosling drops out. And you have to recast him. Which actor do you think could give a similar, similarly stellar and funny performance to what he did here? Because he had a great, really funny performance. Budge, what do you think? Who who would you recast if you couldn't get Ryan Gosling? Uh, you know what? And he was he was in the movie that we we recently viewed, and I think Adam Driver would be a would give this <laughs> a decent shot. Yeah, I almost thought you were going to do like a Michael Shannon. Well, like Michael I, Shannon know, could be really funny. I, I don't I, – I, while I like Michael Shannon, I, I think that he's too intense. Like He could be he could be Russell Crowe's character. Yes, I agree. That's what I was going to say. He, if you swatch those out, Michael Shannon and Adam Driver I think would be, yeah. would be an interesting combo here too. I think yeah, Adam I Driver think Adam has Dr- the capacity to be like – sort of silly but he's also an excellent actor and i think you really saw you saw ryan gosling's chops in this movie yeah what do you think what do you think preston who would you recast as ryan gosling just who could be funny so totally different um character but i don't know it kind of reminded me at times of in pineapple express like james franco's character saul kind of all of a sudden all of a sudden being tied (laughs) tied into like a lot of shit he just wanted no part in really uh, so I yeah. may, I could maybe see like a, a James Franco or or even um, 
gosh, who was just thinking of? Maybe like a Paul Rudd. Like Paul Rudd <laughs> could be kind of funny in it too. But that, I don't know. It's, it's, what it's do you hard because Gosling knocks it out of the park. All right, so we're going to move on. We're going to spin the wheel a little bit one or two more times trying to get through this quickly. All right. We've got four. Give it up for the single guys. Despite trying to hard and hitting on tons of chicks, Brian Gosling's character walks away from this movie single and abstinent. Does he deserve romance? And if he did, should there have been more tits and ass? Well, I mean, yeah, Ryan Gosling is is definitely considered one of the uh, the more good looking of of actors around. So it is kind of surprising that he plays like a character that that if anything is he's getting like rejected. Like like his, the relationship he he, <laughs> he creates in his mind with uh, Tally is so funny <laughs> because he obviously is in love with her and she's just like playing him for a fool, which she kind of is. Uh, he, I mean, like we shouldn't like say this is Ryan Gosling. It's his character. So like, do, do you think his character deserved romance? So to speak? Uh, maybe, like, I think like he was, I feel cool. Yeah. Maybe, you know, he's a single dad. He just went through a lot of shit and, uh, yeah. Like give, give him a moment uh, or at the very least, like, <laughs> I guess give him another cocktail. Well, I don't know. <laughs> I, I th- yeah. I think that's kind of the, the idea is that he like could be get there if, cause you see like flashes of of greatness right like when he's yeah. all fucked up and he's hitting on that chick at the top of the the party oh yeah and he's doing well you're like oh man like is he gonna seal the deal and then he falls I off just... the roof but, <laughs> but like i guess that's i think that's like that could be ultimately a part of the, his story like if he can clean his act up like if he isn't so blackout then maybe you know what he can what is in the right before that scene when he's when he's it's clear that now he's drunk at that party and and he has like that bit where he's just like totally like switching words and like words, that's, I, mean, I lost it it's so fast <laughs> no, no, it's it, it's impossible to actually like redo that bit that i was thinking about that earlier I I that too. like there's no way to actually like say that yeah. bit to a friend and be like because it's so, like unless you're because you can't I, I it really is it's such a drunken funny bit that it's impossible to just sort of like, like mince your brain hey to i'm, I'm amelia have you seen my friend? yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, what's up i'm amelia have you seen my yeah. friend it's like you basically have to like turn your brain into some dyslexic person <laughs> yeah. uh-huh. and like otherwise it just doesn't work so good. all right so we're gonna move on to one last spin and then we're gonna go to our ratings here were you <laughs> swimming why were you i was working yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Where were you? Did you fall? I was questioning the mermaids. All right. Number five, your first pair of boobs. Uh, just like true to, I mean, excuse me. The opening scene features a little boy discovering a naked porn star dying from a car crash, and he seems pretty like emotionless. If you had come across that scene, a porn star like dying in her car and being completely naked on top of her car. How would you have responded? Would you have been a little bit more excited, a little bit more frustrated? How would you have done? Joe, what do you think? I think you would just be absolutely devastated. I mean, not only would you have, you were just <laughs> looking at the nudie magazine and then you saw the, the same boobs all bloody and cut up. It would just be like a traumatic experience. It'd be like, what has God sent me? You know what I mean? Like, uh, <laughs> it wouldn't be good. I thought it would have been funny if he like actually recognized her and then been devastated that like it wasn't as true to real life as like maybe he saw in the film or in the magazine. See, what do you think, Preston? I mean, I, I think I would. I, I, first off, I think it's it's funny how they have her in the same pose that she's in the centerfold, like on the like after she's been thrown out the car. I, I don't, oh, I, I I don't know if that, that was like purposeful, really, but it was essentially I'm sure it was. Yeah. Um, but I mean, just from a very 
human reaction. I, I think if I saw that, I would just be screaming that a like not oh like oh my god, I was just looking at you. Holy shit, you're dying in front of me. What do I do? This is like this is not how I thought this was gonna go when I have like my first you know glimpse of of a nude body in front of me dying and I just saw you in the magazine so I, I think I would just scream probably a lot like Ryan Gosling. <laughs> what do you think, Bud? Do you think there should have been a recall to that kid where he maybe like sort of like reminisced about it, maybe embellished it, being like, "Oh man, she was really hot on that car." Like, what do you think? No, I actually think it was done perfectly because I think it was kind of a very <laughs> it was very much like a it was sort of what do you, I guess what you say a precursor to how the movie was going to go and that like yeah. you had this kind of funny scene where he's looking at the breast and then she comes down the hill and she gets out and it's gratuitous like it's a mix of beauty and you know like there's blood like you're like I'm is it weird that this is you know one of the better pair of breasts I've ever seen yet this woman's dying and she's <laughs> bloody and the kid's reaction is actually quite sweet and he takes off his shirt and covers her up because he thinks that's the proper thing to do. And I think that's yeah. kind of a lot about how this movie goes later and that like, yeah, it's raucous and funny, but there it's like, it's a black comedy. Like they're ultimately very serious parts. And you're like, I'm not sure if I'm supposed to be laughing or not. And I think it's very much the theme of the movie. And then at the very, and ultimately it is quite sweet. Like Ryan Gosling's character is sweet in the end. Like he is, he's yeah. really trying to do the best for his daughter. He's doing, his, you know, whether or not he's doing the best he can, he's trying. Right. Uh, and, and you can tell she cares about him and he cares about her. And I think, again, that's what I mean. Like when the kid puts, you know, he puts his shirt on. So I actually think, again, that it's an excellent foreshadowing well, of how the movie's going to And be. in a time period where misogyny, I, I would just assume, is just out of control. Like he, you know, yeah, like Gosling's character, like throughout the movie, like even with the, like the, the young lady, the, the porno young lady, yeah. like he, and his, and his <laughs> having his, like a, a daughter who's young, like I think there's always just like, he's always kind of, while he while he while he is a drunk and he definitely has his his flaws, he seems to always be kind of like standing up for the women or being polite in some in some way that was probably not unique to uh, the seventies. Sure, and yeah, sorry for art house minute, but you know, <laughs> it's interesting. No, all right, so we're gonna move on to our ratings after Budge just sort of obliterated my point. So Budge, uh, we're gonna go to acting out of twenty five. What do you think, Budge? Uh, I think this is where this one of the places this movie shined. Uh, I think Ryan Gosling's performance in this film is possibly one of his best. Uh, (laughs) You know, this is, I've said this before in this podcast. I think that for people of our age, our first glimpse of Ryan Gosling was maybe in the Mickey Mouse Club and then subsequently in Room of the Titans. And I think that some of us maybe get stuck in a 20 twin view of like (laughs) pop culture. And you forget that in the last 10 years, Ryan Gosling went from being that person to being one of the main go to actors in Hollywood. And I think this is a perfect example of that. Uh, you know, one, one, one of, I, I watched a, I saw like a quick interview with the big, you know, the guy who played tuna, what's the name of Ethan Slurpee or whatever. And he played yes. in obviously in the Titans too. And they asked him, uh, who, you know, like, was there anybody that stood out in that remember the Titans? And he goes, Ryan Gosling's character. Because that guy had like two words, sunshine and remember the Titans. He had developed this entire backstory. He took it way more seriously than anybody else. And I knew from immediately that, like meeting that guy that he was going to be a big time actor. And he goes, and just think about it. He doesn't say much yet. Everybody remembers sunshine from that film. And I thought that was like a really good point. Cause you kind of like, and just watching him in this, like his timing, uh, like he, again, like the way he played that scene we were just talking about with the, with the dyslexia, and like mixing up the words, like how hard that would be to do is crazy and like pull off. And it was seamless. Uh, so in that sense, in honor of the iron bowl 
and getting that victory. I'm going to go Deuce Deuce, Najee Harris, 22 on the acting. For the record, Ryan Gosling doesn't play Sunshine and yeah. Room Over the Titans. But go ahead, Joe. Wait, um, who does he? <laughs> no, he plays the a cornerback that gets benched by Petey, yeah. who is a running back. He's not, but he's the blonde. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. Uh, Liability no, at corner. Sorry. I forgot. Yeah. I mixed it up before, <laughs> but yeah. yeah. He's, he's just doesn't have those hips to turn with wide receivers. So go ahead, Joe. Out You're of uh, 25, what do you think? Uh, <laughs> 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 this has been like a callback yes, to him just return. Oh, Joe. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Yo, <laughs> like remember he yells from like, and he's got that big bellowing yeah, neck, like yeah. a turkey neck. All right, uh, go yeah, ahead, Joe. Guys sorry. out there in Pod uh, Twenty Five YouTube Hoops, there is one. There's a fantastic edit of that scene. Anyway, uh, I'm gonna have <laughs> the acting. Please send yeah, us. I will. I will link in the description. Uh, I'm gonna give the acting a twenty-one. Twenty-one. <laughs> It's like that Salisbury steak episode for I mean like recut from Rookie of the Year, but go ahead, uh Preston. Uh yeah, I mean I, I agree with everything that Rudge just said and I thought he was gonna give it a freaking twenty five, so kind of surprised, but I'm going uh I'm going MJ on this one. Twenty three. Uh, and mainly honestly because yeah. Gosling is just so fucking good. But so, but so, so, is, the list, so is the so is the uh the daughter. It's exactly um, what I was gonna say. Let's not yeah. sleep on Holly. Uh, Ryan Gosling, Russell Crowe, the daughter, all fantastic. I'm giving it a 24. That's my highest for this uh, for this movie. Uh, Budge, go for it with your um, music. How do you think the music played into it? There actually it was. Decent. Yeah, there was there was good music. Uh, I give it a I give it a 20 because uh, it was good, but at the same time, it was like you know, my, I guess if we had to look back on it, it's kind of what we were discussing with um, with 71 in the sense that. There's probably a limited budget, and they spent a lot, obviously, on probably getting Ryan Gosling and Russell Crowe. And so, like, well, it did have good music. You were kind of like, you know, like there, this, you know, this was lacking. Maybe you could take it up one more notch. But again, I understand for what for whatever they use, it was still excellent. So I, I gave it a twenty. But that was that would be where I'd like to see just a little bit more. Joe, music. What do you think on twenty five? I'm gonna go. Uh, I'm gonna go twenty. Uh, Preston. The Temptations, Cool in the Gang, Earth, Wind, and Fire, A Taste of Honey, Al Green, <laughs> Love and Happiness. Uh, At the end. Props to my, my wife, Emily. That was our song. Uh, let's see. Uh, Bee Gees, Kiss, The Band, uh, America. Yeah. I think this movie did a little bit more than 71 there, Budge. And, uh, <laughs> and, and, and not only including just great music, but perfectly from that era. And the beginning with Papa was a Rolling Stone, which is, I mean, that's like, that's when the temptations really started to go into this new, like, you know, ball confusion type of Motown funk, like we're and speaking to like social issues. I thought like, I was just like pumped. I was like, let's do this. This movie is going to be great. And if you notice the theme, like kind of the theme from the song, which jumped from scene to scene, the uh, theme from the movie, it had like the basic, or to me, what sounded like the basic melody of Papa was a Rolling Stone, but they kind of changed it to where it, like, it was almost like, here's the theme song going forward for the entire film. Um, so for me, this is this this speaks to a, a lot of music that I love and I've, I've loved for a long time. So I'm giving it a uh, 23. All right. So no, I agree with Preston that this movie actually had such a, a strong soundtrack. It was so 
relevant to the time period. I'm going to give it a 21. We're going to move on to characters. Budge, what do you think about the characters out of 25? Oh, once again, I mean, this was outstanding. Uh, these characters uh, from Jack Jackson Healy in the beginning, talk about his Irish upbringing, you know, to marriage, being somebody you buy a house for someone you hate, you know, to just his views on the way the business works. I mean, and then also let's not forget him asking Robin running or uh, going after Amelia for that extra $7. Cause she was short. Was, <laughs> yeah. I thought just like kind of encapsulated him pretty well. Uh, but I mean, obviously Holland March, I think is, you know, he steals, it steals a show, but Holly, the girl, the teenager is a great character. Uh, I mean, everybody from top to bottom is just is great. So again, I'm going to give this another 22. Joseph out of 25. I'm going to echo Budge on that. Oh, don't forget Dick Kid. Uh, I, I think he summed it up pretty well. So 22. Uh, Preston, what do you think? I'm right there with y'all. I'm going to go 22 as well. The characters are just, it's great. It's a fun time. Man, I guess these are always kind of lumped together in terms of acting and characters for me. The main three characters were fantastic. And like like Budge was saying, they really did a great job, not only in giving you the backstory and giving them a bunch of context and a lot of like what you were feeling about them early in the movie, but all those scenes served towards a later purpose of the plot. So yeah. they did it in a very, very good way. So I'm going to give it a 23. We're going to uh, move on to the plot. Budge, what do you think? Uh, you know, th- again, I-, I thought this was an excellent plot. Uh, I do think that it, it, you know, my criticism with it will be that it could have been slightly tighter and that maybe shortened. <laughs> uh, so yeah, tighten up. So I still though, I still just thoroughly enjoyed it uh, enough that my criticism is only going to knock at three points. I'm going to give it another 22. But. I think, yeah, I, I, I hate to keep echoing budge, but I'm going to go with uh, 22 as well. Well, I, I had a 22 down, but I almost want to change it at this point. No, keep it up, man. <laughs> you know? Keep it up. And I just want to say the reason I gave acting a 23 and the characters a 22 is because I think how perfectly Gosling like hits all those lines. Uh, it's just like, I mean, you can't do it without the acting, right? So, uh, but yeah, I had a 22 for plot. Uh this is something that I really didn't like because, I, like I said, I was sort of hitting at it with my questions is that I didn't really like how they structured it differently. Maybe I'm a traditionalist in terms of the buddy cop genre, but I'm going to give it a 19. Um, and that's going to wrap up our review of The Nice Guys. Next week, we're going to have on a special guest. Or, Bud, do you want to preview next week? We're going to do Saving Private Ryan with someone that you got on the show. Oh, well, yeah. I don't know. We reached out. He's a he's a comedian, uh, Nimesh Patel, first Indian writer on SNL. He's infamously, I guess if you Google him, uh, tells a good joke about getting kicked out of Columbia. Uh, but he's a he's a great stand-up, uh, great producer. He's been on the Samantha B show, um, and I think we'll really enjoy him. Uh, but I think we're going to get it done. Yeah, so we're going to do Saving Private Ryan with – Special guest Namesh Patel next week. So, everyone, look forward to that. And thank you so much for listening. Everyone, peace. Budget makes me feel good. On the first part of the journey, I was looking at all the life. There were plants and birds and rocks and things. There were sand and hills and rain. The first thing I met was a fly with a buzz and the sky with no clouds. The heat was hot and the ground was dry, but the air was full of sound. 
Give you no pain. Ah, ah, ah. 